0: Confident Gymnast Camp this August 3rd and 4th. This camp is all about breaking through mental blocks. So if you're struggling with a skill and you want me and my team to help you break through in real time, then check out confidentgymnast.com for details. Hi guys, on today's podcast, we are going to be talking about some serious stuff. And you know the topic of child abuse can be a tricky one to navigate. My guest today just talks about it so simply and I think this is an episode that every single parent of every single child should listen to. And we do talk about some sensitive stuff, but nothing, you know, that a, a 10, 11, 12-year-old can't or shouldn't hear. So feel free to tune in if, you know, parents might want to give it a listen first and then listen to it with your athlete. But we're going to be talking about patterns that you can identify that are actually like covert emotional abuse, how to end the cycle. And, And the thing that I took away from this episode is really how much hope there is and how much we really can do to keep our kids safe in a sport environment that is supposed to be fun and is supposed to build their confidence. So I hope that you will give this one a listen. And just trust that even though we're talking about uncomfortable stuff, it's going to help our kids stay safe. Here we go. Welcome to the Perform Happy Podcast, where athletes and their support squad come to learn the secret weapon for sports success. I'm your host, Rebecca Smith. First, I was a scaredy cat gymnast, then a coach. Now I'm a sports psychology expert and a parent. Athletes, whether you're feeling stuck or you're having the best season of your life, I'm here to help you reach peak performance and maximum enjoyment. Hi, everybody. Welcome to a special episode of the Perform Happy Podcast. My guest today is Dr. Amy Saltzman. She is a mindfulness coach, she's a physician, she's an author, she's a former Stanford gymnast, she's an abuse survivor, and a fierce abuse prevention advocate. And I am so thrilled to have you on the show today. Welcome, Dr. Saltzman. Thank you so much for having me. I mean, when when I even, when I heard wind of what you're up to, I got so excited because sometimes in this, you know, anti-abuse, anti-USAG, it is what it is, coaching world, it can feel kind of isolating. Like, you know, the one mom in the gym who's like, are we okay with this? Like, is this okay? What's how this coach is talking to my kid? It can feel like, well, it just is the way it is and we have to just deal with it. So I'm excited to talk to you about you know, what parents can do. I really dig into the hope around this situation.
1: Right. I'm definitely, my thing is that we need to be working way, way farther upstream than most people are talking about. And we need to be educating athletes and parents and that you can do at home in your living room on your own. And then we also need to be looking at the big picture and changing policy and laws and all of
0: that. Yeah, great. So would you give us a little background on yourself and kind of what what drove you to this passion? Yeah, so
1: we'll start with that. I was a gymnast as a kid, a sport I know and love. I was super fortunate, actually, that my primary coach was a truly exceptional coach and one of those people who really brought out the best in everyone. I'm going to skip a lot of decades and fast forward to what had me do this project. But I worked with a life coach for 31 years. And in August of 2020, she insisted that I get a neuropsychological evaluation because I had asked to graduate or leave the coaching or change the configuration of the coaching. And at that time, she... Continued her gaslighting of me and basically said, either I had early Alzheimer's or that I was simply resisting at that point, basically, my spiritual evolution. And we were kind of at a stalemate. And her choice was to insist that I get a full neuropsychological workup, which was seven hours of testing, you know, remembering words and looking at pictures, two hours of the neuropsychologist talking to my coach. And one hour of the neuropsychologist talking to my husband. And at the end of that process, the diagnosis was that the relationship was a relationship of undue influence, which is also known as covert emotional abuse or coercive control. So it was 31 years of emotional abuse. And when as soon as the neuropsychologist said it, like my whole world kind of collapsed in on me and the view of this person that I had truly loved and trusted with my heart and soul was completely upended. And kind of my view of myself was completely upended. And the Spot a Spider program is actually the result of me making lemonade and lemon meringue pie and lemon bars out of those decades of abuse, because really what it was, was 31 years of grooming. So what happens is now I understand grooming as a medical professional, but I also understand grooming from the inside out. And I've always had a knack of being able to explain complicated topics to children. And so it's like the one thing that's missing in the abuse prevention landscape is How do we talk to kids about this topic in a way that they can come home or to a safe person and say, this doesn't feel right. Something's off. I'm afraid of my coach. The coach is behaving inconsistently. And for them to start to learn, the reason it's called how to spot a spider is for them to start to learn to see the threads. And the patterns in the spider's web, because that early grooming phase is super
0: hard to notice. Mm -hmm. Something I was noticing as I was getting ready to chat with you is that, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if many abusers don't consider themselves abusers. They don't realize that what they're doing is not okay. They're coaching the way they were coached. And that's just the way it's done. Well,
1: and it's interesting because people who have a history of being abused in any setting are more likely to be abusive. And there's often a huge amount of denial and a coach, many abusive coaches, and then by extension, many gyms, many clubs, many teams, many organizations think that this coach is An excellent coach. So, for example, since so many of your audience are gymnasts, Lori Hernandez's coach, who was suspended in a rare act of justice for five years, I think was her ultimate suspension. You know, even after she was suspended, she said, You know, my problem was I cared too much. No, your problem was that you crossed the line from being an A passionate and intense coach, which, you know, coaches are going to push us. Coaches are going to ask us to move beyond our limits. There's a difference between intensity and abuse. And she crossed that line, but she still doesn't think so. She feels like she's a scapegoat for the post Nasser era rather than saying, Oh, you know, thanks for pointing that out. I see where this was not healthy. I am apologize. I'm going to make amends. I'm going to change. That was not her response.
0: Hey guys, quick announcement break. Right now we at Complete Performance Coaching are looking for five athletes who are ready to break through their mental blocks for good. If that sounds like you or your child, then sign up for a free consultation call with one of my amazing coaches as soon as possible to see if you're a good fit for our Perform Happy Elite training program. This program includes one-on-one coaching with the world's top mental performance coaches, plus tons of support for athletes and their parents in between sessions. You can sign up today at completeperformancecoaching.com slash consult. Talk to you soon. So in these situations, it's all very in quote unquote normal what's happening. How do the kids and how do the parents identify, you know, what is passionate intensity versus what is actually abuse?
1: Yeah, it's interesting because, I mean, we'll cover as much as we can cover here, but I started out actually hoping that I was going to make one video to cover covert emotional abuse, which is sneaky emotional abuse and overt emotional, physical, and sexual abuse. And I had a delusion that I was going to get this done in like half an hour. And what it turned out to be was that I have two 45-minute videos to go through what this really looks like so that people can really see the threads and the patterns. But I think the first and most important thing for people to know for both athletes and parents is Trust your instinct. And if something feels off, do your best to describe it as clearly as possible. If you're an athlete, maybe you want to start by describing it to yourself, in your journal, whatever, and then go to a trusted adult, whether that's a parent or someone outside the gym, a teacher, a school counselor, someone that you feel safe with. And then from the responsible adult side, one of the best things is just to say, tell me more rather than, oh, it's interesting. I've been doing a lot of podcasting promoting this. And like the number of people who've either had their own personal experience or are kind of like one degree of separation away from someone who's had their own experience, you know, rather than oh, I think you're making a big deal out of nothing or whatever. Like if your child comes to you and they're saying there's something of concern, that's not what your child wants to be doing, right? Your child wants to be going to gymnastics and having a great time and challenging themselves and learning new skills. And so if they're coming to you with a concern, take it seriously.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I love that. Tell me more. Because parents, we want to be like, oh, it's a, it's okay. It's not okay. It's this, it's that. We want to sort of put our own stuff <laughs> into the mix. So just to listen is so important right. to allow them that that space that feels nonjudgmental, that feels kind of curious and neutral and open.
1: Right. And one of the things is like to back up one more step, you know, to go up, upstream one more bit is... Ideally, right, you would be watching these videos with your child before they're telling you anything so that when they see the first thread, they come home and they say, you know, mom, that video we watched with the spiders and, you know, today my coach did something and it just, it reminded me of the video. Can we talk about it again?
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so that's what are- really preventive. Yes, yes, so that they know to look out for that. That's great. Um, What are some of those patterns that they'll want to be on the lookout for?
1: Well, one of the first and most interesting patterns is that the abusive spider coach, when we're talking about grooming, and I want to pause here because when we say grooming, mostly as adults, we tend to think of grooming as something that leads to physical or sexual abuse. And what we forget in thinking of it in that way is that the grooming is abusive in and of itself. It's emotional abuse. And there's actually data to show that emotional abuse is as harmful or more harmful than the physical or sexual abuse because it's so subtle. So, one of the first things that happens is they make you feel special. So, even just going to a certain gym, there can kind of be this air of you're special you're lucky to, but then what comes right after that is you're lucky to be here and you could be cut or asked to leave at any time. And so you already have this playing on your hopes and dreams of the gymnast you want to become and your fear of being disappointing the coach and being kicked out of the gym. So you're already, they're kind of cultivating obedience and dependence. And so Generally, if they have you feeling special, that's kind of exactly where they want you. And as long as you're feeling special and lucky to be there and being compliant, they're super happy. If someone starts to push back, then you would think that they might get defensive or something, but usually what they do is they become even more charming. And so they'll say, There's no reason for you to be nervous. You can trust me. This is how all great coaches coach their best gymnasts. And so if you're having doubts, and this is the part of you that's having doubts, I call your wise self. If your wise self is having doubts, they'll kind of try to get you to doubt yourself. So that instead of doubting the coach, and instead of thinking this is off, you start to think, oh, well, maybe I'm just making it up. Like the coach isn't that bad and everybody else seems fine. And so you kind of doubt yourself. So if you do stick with your perception, then often they'll start to bully you and they'll say, well, no one else has a problem with my coaching or maybe you just don't have what it takes. Or, and it's, again, it's trying to get you to doubt yourself. That's the gaslighting part. And then the other thing is they'll try and separate you not just physically from other people, but also kind of mentally and emotionally. So if you as an athlete are raising concerns, the coach will tell your teammates, oh, don't listen to her. She's, you know, she's in a bad headspace or whatever, so that they kind of, your teammates separate from you. If your parents are raising concerns and you're thinking, no, no, coach is fine. The coach will say, Well, your parents just don't really understand what it takes to compete at the highest level, or they don't understand what it takes to get to the next level. And you need to trust me and you need to understand that your parents like don't know what they're doing. If an assistant coach raises concerns, then they'll say the assistant coach doesn't know what they're doing, or they may even fire an assistant coach or a staff member who raises concerns so that people aren't sharing information about you know, this doesn't seem right. Because when people start pointing out the threads to each other, then all of a sudden, everybody goes, oh, there's a big web here. And there's a big spider in the middle. And we need to do something. So the coach doesn't want people talking to each other. And the other thing is, they tend to kind of do kind of both bragging and being humble. So they'll say. One day they say, I'm a great coach and you're so lucky to be here. And you think, yeah, I'm really lucky to be here. And then the next day they'll say, well, I would never say I'm great, but your teammate said I'm awesome. And she brought in you know four other people who also think I'm awesome. So you're the only one, again, who doesn't think I'm awesome. And then if it gets really to be a big deal, they start lying, they start denying, and sometimes they'll even trick you into lying. And usually when they trick you into something, they start really small. So it can be something simple like, oh, you didn't do your drills today. And you're like, well, wait, no, I did do my drills today. I did all of them. I did them well. But you don't want to upset the coach. You don't want to be kicked off the team. You don't want to be kicked out of the gym. So you just say, oh, I'm sorry. I'll do all my drills. Or they say, you're having a bad attitude. You're like, no, you're scaring me. But you don't say, no, you're scaring me because you don't know what the the coach is going to react. And so you say, well, I'm sorry, I'll change my attitude. And the thing is, they're testing you. And if you do little lies, then they think you might do bigger lies. So it's really, really sneaky and subtle but you can start to learn to see the threads and the patterns. And then the second video really talks about abuse that's much more obvious, but that for some crazy reason we as a society have decided that coaches can do things that we'd never let a school teacher do, that we'd never let a piano teacher do. Like we wouldn't let a piano teacher yell at a kid the way we let coaches yell at kids. You know, we wouldn't let piano teachers throw water bottles or, you know, grips at someone. And then it also talks really both explicitly and respectfully and appropriately about touch and what types of touch are okay and what types of touch are not okay. I want to be clear. I'm a physician and I do use the proper names for sexual body parts. I don't even call them private parts. I call them sexual body parts. And we start with hands and mouth. If you can say hands and mouth, then you can say breasts, buttocks, vagina, penis, and anus. And the data actually shows us that kids who or people who know the proper terminology for their sexual body parts are way less likely to be abused Than people who don't. And there's a choice within the resources section to use a nude anatomically correct photo or a G rated bathing suit correct photo to talk to your kids. And one of a common podcast question that I'm just going to like answer ahead of time is you know, if as a parent you're thinking, oh my gosh, I cannot have this conversation with my child, the only thing I want to say is. It's much better to have this conversation than to have the conversation if your child comes to you and reports an incident of abuse. So however nervous you are about having this conversation, I've done my absolute best to make it as easy and comfortable and just straightforward as possible. And I can promise you it's better than having the other
0: conversation. And at what age? would you recommend that parents start having this conversation?
1: I hate to say it, but the data would say like no later than seven. And there's been a recent case in Canada of a coach abusing a seven-year-old.
0: So yeah, Mm -hmm. start early. Yeah, I know in my house, consent has been a topic of conversation since the moment a child could tickle, you know, or be tickled. It's it's just those, oh that's those awesome. That's awesome. That you know, if, if you say no, dad stops immediately. And then you're like, okay, go. And then okay, stop. It's a freeze. It's immediately like consent is king in my house because that's one thing as a gymnast I didn't learn. I didn't understand consent until I was in my 20s because I was told you do what you're told. And that can create a lot of baggage in a, in a young adult to not understand that their voice matters and that they actually can and should speak up in those situations.
1: Yeah, and it's interesting because again, as with the lying, the touch starts super subtly. So it's just a brush on your buttocks or a brush on your breasts. And then it's a little bit like, well, did that really happen? Do I say something? Do I not say something? And, you know, also I want to be super respectful of it, that it's hard to speak up and it's really hard as a athlete where you don't have the power and the coach does have the power to speak up. And so if you don't speak up in the moment, I want you to know that that's okay because it's super common to be like fight flight or freeze and often what we do is we freeze. And so if you freeze in the moment and you didn't say anything like please don't touch me there again or whatever, then you know you go home, you talk to your parents and you let your parents deal with it. Like I'm not expecting an athlete to do anything other than to tell an adult they trust. And then it's the responsible adults' responsibility to take the next steps you just need to tell someone you trust that something's off
0: that's it okay and then as the parent parent who you know we don't enter this world with a user's manual on our children or we certainly do not any of this tough stuff so let's say here I am you know mom skipping along and now my daughter came home and said something is not right what is the next step
1: I think the first priority is to take care of your daughter and to ask, like, to say, thank you for telling me. I'm here to talk about it. I know it's difficult. Let's look at our options. Like, do you want to go to practice today? Do you not want to go to practice today? What would it take for you to feel safe to go to practice? Now, I'm going to put that aside and come back (laughs) for a minute because ideally, and this is where we get to the bigger gym, club, societal policy pieces, right? Ideally, you would have your child in a gym that is at a minimum advertising that they're following all safe sport policies and procedures. They would be clear about where you report. You would be able to report anonymously and they would be clear about what their process was following a report. Not super common yet. And then if you were going to take it a step further, ideally you'd be in a gym that wasn't only following safe sports policies because that's really geared to sexual abuse, but was following all on spotaspider.com. I have a policies, procedures, and advocacy section and it lays out kind of best practices from top to bottom for clubs and for society. And so ideally you'd be in a gym that has those policies. You may get into a situation, I certainly hope the spot of spider prevents this, but you may get into a situation where you need to decide, are you gonna seek medical attention? Are you going to go to the police? And one of my board members is Judge Rosemarie Aquilina, so the judge from the Larry Nasser case. And one of the points that she brings up when we tend to do podcasts together is it's really, really crucial that if you have had an incident of sexual abuse, that you see someone who I would say is trauma sensitive, but also knows how to do a forensic interview and collect any evidence. And hopefully, again, with Spot a Spider, we're preventing those episodes. But if you get to an event like that, you wanna take the proper steps.
0: Okay. And then let's say on the emotional side, if a parent is observing some of the things that you described, which it makes me sick to my stomach, you know, describing the emotional abuse, because I, you know, hundreds of kids I've talked to just describe similar environments. And they'll say to me, but this is, you know, this is the best coach for my technique. So I want to be in this gym. And so, you know, then there's the parent in the middle who goes, well, we can't drive two hours to that other gym. My kid wants to be here, but I'm seeing emotional abuse. What guidance do you have in a situation like that?
1: I think it depends on the age of the kid. But I think, right, if it's a seven-year-old, you're the parent. And it's your call. And one of the unfortunate aspects of our sport is that it has us grow up or think we've grown up sooner than we have. And I think parents need to take responsibility to protect their children. If you have an older kid, 14, 15, 16, I think it needs to be a conversation, but I think it needs to be an informed conversation. And the informed conversation needs to be. Let's talk really honestly about what you're sacrificing for this dream. And let's talk about really what our other options are for you pursuing this dream in a healthy way. And I think the discussion needs to be the same type of discussion that we have if someone blows an ACL or someone has a concussion. We need to be talking about the emotional risks with the same discernment that we talk about the physical risks. And to be honest, I don't think we're exactly nailing it on any of those, right? I don't know that really the bar about ACL injuries or concussions is as high as it should be, but these are long-term risks. The data, again, is people who have experienced emotional abuse, have anxiety, have depression, have PTSD, have long-term issues with trusting themselves, with having trusting relationships. It's not insignificant, the damage that's being done. And I don't think we've done a great job in collecting the data because sexual abuse kind of gets the most data and we don't have great data there either. But Again, I think I mentioned it early on, and even the International Olympic Committee white paper on maltreatment and abuse in sport said that the risk of PTSD and dissociation is highest in emotional abuse, higher than physical abuse or sexual abuse. So people just need to understand it's not a small thing. And I can hear your stomach turning and Like, I don't want to scare people, but I do want to prepare people. And I also want to say that 95% of the coaches out there are technically good and not abusive. And so we're talking about 5%, but those 5% can do incredible damage. And so I don't want every kid and every parent to go into every gym being paranoid, but I do want them to go in being
0: aware and discerning. Yes, absolutely. Okay. We know that there's a culture problem in the sport of gymnastics, in the leadership of gymnastics, in the coaching of gymnastics, and you know, a lot of it. So what can we do for those of us who are all fired up and our stomachs are turning and we want to make this change? What can we do to change the culture?
1: So again, I'm going to kind of go small and go big. So the first thing is you can take care of your kids and that might be your kids in your family, or as a coach, it might be your kids in your gym and make sure they're educated and make sure that they, if you're a coach, that you really have preventive systems in place and preventive systems look like what questions do you ask when you're hiring? How do you screen for spiders? What kind of conduct agreement do you have your hires sign? So there's a sample conduct agreement on Spot a Spider. And what I will tell you is if I were an abusive coach and I looked at that conduct agreement, I would think this is not a spider friendly environment and I'm not going to be able to cause harm here. So Unfortunately, that coach will probably go somewhere else, but at least it's, as a club owner or whatever, it's not happening on your watch. Then we go one step further again with the policies of your club should ideally have an athlete safety committee and it should be made up of two you know, reasonably mature athletes, a couple parents. And in most communities, You'll be able to find a parent who also is a psychologist or a social worker or someone who's trauma sensitive. And I would recruit them for sure to sit on the committee. And then people should know that the committee exists. You should have anonymous athlete surveys that you do every six months or once a year to see, are there any questionable behaviors from any of your staff, from the person who sits at the front desk? to the person who cleans up, you know, people should be asked, is there anything concerning? And they're, there's very specific questions about, is there anything concerning? Then again, who do you report to? And then, you know, pulling back, you know, ideally also you would report to safe sport. I can't tell yet if safe sport is just underfunded and Like scrambling to do the right thing, or if they're not really doing the right thing, I just can't tell. I mean, some of the choices have been pretty disappointing. And then if we take the biggest view, we need to be lobbying for changes in laws. For example, I'm not going to list all of them, but for example, emotional and physical abuse should be treated the same as sexual abuse because they are harmful. And There should be no statute of limitations for bringing a case of abuse for any type of abuse and bystanders, enablers, co-conspirators should be face professional and personal consequences. If you know of abuse and don't do anything to stop it, as far as I'm concerned, you're an accomplice. So, you know, those are the types of changes that we need to be looking at in the sport as a whole. And I think that might mean voting for new representation at the
0: top. Yeah. Well, you know, and what I hear from all this is it seems overwhelming, but it also seems really hopeful, you know, that there are sort of clear next steps that we can all take. And, And I know when I put my daughter in gymnastics, I was very hesitant, very hesitant seeing my side of things and these kids who can't trust themselves and they can't, you know, because they've been taught to not trust themselves. I, you know, did a full culture review and made sure that I knew I knew that owner. I knew his va- values. I knew his priorities. I knew that they put humans first. So I, I like to know that I've at least done my part in vetting the gym. And do I you did- wanna, Do you want to say, so just
1: because I'd actually love to hear, like, what were your three favorite questions? Like,
0: you know, it was it was more- it was observing. It was observing more than asking. And I brought my little two-year-old in before she ever became of age to be, you know, a a competitive gymnast. And I watched the way that the rec coaches taught. I watched the way that the owner interacted with his staff. I watched the way that the culture in general, I, I, and then I introduced myself to him and and the questions that he asked me were really important too. And talking about, and I always brought it back to, you know, Culture, culture, culture. And, you know, just in those interactions with him, I realized this guy really cares about humans above winning. And they win as a side effect of their incredible healthy culture. And that I see over and over. I'm finding these amazing gym owners who just won't stand for the negativity. They're firing coaches, they're starting new gyms, they're getting, they're like, we're out of the abuse business, basically. And then they pour everything they have into, Little humans becoming confident humans. And then as the result of this experiment, their kids are winning.
1: One of the other resources I didn't mention is I have an article for adults on ending cycles of abuse in sports and society. And in there I have a quote from Ali Raceman who said, Like, look at what we accomplished while we were being abused. Imagine what we would have accomplished if we had been truly supported and nurtured. And so I do think more coaches are learning to coach that way. It's not, I don't want to in any way pretend that it's comprehensive, but also on the website, there's a chapter from my book on like the basics, basics of positive coaching because We do know that athletes perform better when they're supported, when they're happy, when they feel safe, when they have joy in what they do.
0: Yes, absolutely. Oh, Dr. Saltzman, this has been so, I mean, I feel so hopeful. I feel so good. Like we can do this. How do people find your information if they want to dig more into it?
1: So it's super simple, www.spotaspider.com. You know, if you're a parent and you want to host an evening for a bunch of athletes, or if you're a club coach or club owner and you want to have like a facilitated dialogue, but you don't even need to make it that complicated. And one thing I do want to point out for both the parents and the coaches who are listening is that 20% of every video purchase goes back either to your gym, if you want to become an affiliate member. So if you wanted to take this to your gym, what's your gym called? Your daughter's gym called? Oh, Redwood Empire Gymnastics. So right. So Redwood Empire Gymnastics would become an affiliate. And then you would have a code. And every video that someone buys and watches, 20% will go back to the gym. So better than a bake sale or a car wash or... Sewing sequins on leotards or whatever needs to happen. It's made to be simple. It's made to be easy. It's all there. Everything from here are the videos to watch with your kids to here are the requests that you want your gym owner to implement. Awesome. Thank you so much, Dr. Saltman. It's been a pleasure having you. It was truly a pleasure to be here. And yeah, well, thanks for spreading
0: the word. We're spreading it. We can. We can do this together. Thank you so much for joining me for this week's episode of the Perform Happy podcast. If you're ready to unlock your maximum sport potential, head over to performhappy.com and join us. You'll be training alongside world champion athletes and Olympic hopefuls, and I will personally take you through my research-based system for overcoming fear and mental blocks, building confidence, and finding your flow. I'm Coach Rebecca Smith.